Dynasty Leaguers are still chasing. They're still chasing that high from 2014. The vast majority of Dynasty League enthusiasts are addicts. They are wide receiver addicts. They know the wide receiver is not good for you. They know drafting a wide receiver in the first round of a rookie draft negatively impacts the health of your Dynasty League team, and yet, and yet they continue to do it. I'm reading crowdsourced ADPs on Twitter for Dynasty rookie drafts. List a bunch of players and say, who would you draft at slot one? List a bunch of players. Who would you draft at slot two? List a bunch of players. Who would you draft at slot three? And if you listen to the last Sonic Truth episode that I hosted with Ryan Lopes, you know the drill. First thing you do is try to trade your first round picks. After that, if you must use it on a rookie player who has never played a snap in the NFL, you must invest that highly valuable asset in the running back position because you own these players for life. There's a lot at stake in a dynasty rookie draft. It's critical that you receive value in return and better yet, the value accrues in year one. You're much more likely to see your value accrue in year one by investing in a running back than you are a wide receiver. We know about the wide receiver development curve. It's a known thing from Devontae Adams to Devin Funchess to Nelson Aguilar. You need to be prepared to invest at least three years in a wide receiver. In some cases, like with Adam Thielen, four to five years. In the financial services world, portfolio managers call that a carrying cost. There's an opportunity cost to parking that asset in your portfolio and crowding out other assets that can accrue value. Watching that asset surely depreciate in lieu of other assets that would more likely appreciate. That's the cost of drafting wide receivers in the early rounds of Dynasty rookie drafts. And it's self-evident. Anyone that's played Dynasty Leagues for any length of time understands this. And yet you see the Dynasty League experts voting up wide receivers in 2018 of all years. The year in which there's the biggest differential between the running back class and the wide receiver class in recent memory. It's an excellent running back class. It's an abysmal wide receiver class. And yet, and yet, when polled, Dynasty League enthusiasts want Cortland Sutton fifth overall. I just spoke to Marcus Mosier about Cortland Sutton, and you need to tune in to the Sonic Truth show that will drop in a couple days to hear Marcus's full analysis of Cortland Sutton, and it's not good. Little did I know, Cortland Sutton's not explosive. All I knew was that he was outproduced by Trey Quinn last year, and that was a massive red flag. Now Marcus Mosier tells me that Sutton would be lucky to run a sub 4-6-40. And that's the guy Dynasty Leaguers want with the fifth overall pick in rookie drafts. <laughs> I laugh, but it's sad. It's sad because they just can't let go of this wide receiver dream from 2014. They remain addicted to the wide receiver. And as you go through the polling, check out Travis May's timeline at FF underscore Travis M to see the polls. It is laugh out loud funny how misguided most dynasty leaguers are because that's what we're talking about. The majority are upvoting these wide receivers. <laughs> Sutton at five, Calvin Ridley at seven, James Washington at eight, DJ Moore at 10. That's actually defensible because I believe DJ Moore is the least risky of the rookie receivers. Then Christian Kirk in the 11 slot and Auden Tate, Auden Tate at pick 13. And then Equinemius St. Brown. These are receivers that did nothing last year. And they're being drafted ahead of exquisite running back talents from John Kelly to Mark Walton to Royce Freeman. It's absurd. I would prefer Freeman, Walton, and Kelly over any of the receivers. Easily. Because I like winning dynasty leagues with rookie players, number one. And I like my dynasty league rosters to accrue value, number two. This is the simplest concept. And yet, the majority are failing at managing their Dynasty League teams, and in particular, identifying the positions that are more likely to accrue value. I mean, we are familiar with the running back age-adjusted production curve. You've seen where the running back age apex is. It's age 24. 
Running backs produce the vast majority of their fantasy points by the time they're 24 years old. Once a running back reaches age 25, they are on the back half of their career. It's hard to fathom that any individual in society at any job would peak that early, but that's the ultra-violent, disposable nature of the running back position in the NFL. And knowing that, you need to stockpile your Dynasty League team with young running backs. Well, that's what rookie drafts are for. They're not to light expensive draft picks and roster spots on fire by drafting Auden Tate over some of the most talented running backs we've seen in recent years. Get the hell out of here. And I shared similar sentiments. And I know many of you are saying, oh, well, you shared these same sentiments on the last Sonic Truth show. Are you lapsing into reruns, Matt Kelly? Oh, funny you should ask. Because when I saw Mark Walton, Mark Walton, who's essentially Ronald Jones with better hands, the exceptional talent that is Mark Walton slipped to the 17th slot in this polling. And I just threw my head back and roared with laughter. <laughs> fools. Just fools. Fools. And the response is, who are you calling a fool? Explain yourself. Why do you think Mark Walton should be drafted earlier? It's like, we just did an entire show on the Sonic Truth podcast devoted to rookie running backs. What more do you want from me than that? No, I'm not going to have a one-way conversation with you and regurgitate everything I already said on these airwaves listened to by thousands and thousands and thousands of people. No, no entitled guy on Twitter. I don't have the time nor the inclination to give you a personal tutorial in lieu of enlightening thousands and thousands and thousands of people on a podcast. I mean, just the gall to ask someone in my position to stop everything and just, you and me, let's sit down and talk this through. Like, no, I do a podcast. So you could go to the podcast and you could click the play button on the podcast. And then you can be enlightened like the rest of us. And maybe the next time one of these polls shows up on your timeline, you'll select the correct player and the correct player will be running back. So often it feels like I'm Will Hunting talking to Professor Lambeau. Did you ever consider... I'm pretty sure it's right. But did you think of the possibility... It's right. Just take it home with you. Do you know how easy this is for me? Do you have any fucking idea how easy this is? This is a fucking joke. And I'm sorry you can't do this. I really am because I wouldn't have to fucking sit here and watch you fumble around and fuck it up. My goal this season is to break this echo chamber with my voice. Sonic Boom after Sonic Boom after Sonic Boom on the Sonic Truth Podcast and this podcast, the Rotor Underworld Radio Show, I am going to bend my will to break this echo chamber because it's the same people talking to the same people back and forth, agreeing with consensus. Oh, well, I was in a Devi league and Cortland Sutton's been the top wide receiver in Devi leagues for years and that means he must automatically be a first round pick in Dynasty leagues this year. No! Think critically. This is where the wisdom of the crowd is the wisdom of the dumb people. I'm looking at the polling data right now. It's a fact. The wisdom of the crowd in setting Dynasty Rookie Draft ADPs is dumb and therefore easily exploitable by those of us that have the data in front of us and make rational decisions because that's all it is. That's all it is. You have the age-adjusted productivity data for the running back cohort versus the wide receiver cohort. And this is all laid out in meticulous detail in the book, The Dynasty Dominator, that is available on the playerprofiler.com website. Just go to playerprofiler.com forward slash guides or go to Amazon and download the book now. You don't like ebooks? Great. We have a paperback version. Seriously, pause the podcast and download the book if you have not already. Clearly, a lot of people need this information. And we see the prospect profiles for the running backs juxtaposed with the wide receivers. And there are no impressive wide receivers in this class. Other than DJ Moore, if he's super athletic at the combine. If DJ Moore shreds the combine, well, I might be tempted to draft him in the first round of a rookie draft. But that is it. He is it. He is the list. Based strictly on his 
53% dominator rating, which was in the 98th percentile. All these other receivers require these reverse-engineered rationalization schemes to convince dynasty leaguers that they're worthy of first-round draft capital, and they're just not. The 2014 wide receiver class is dead. It's gone. It's not coming back. And this particular wide receiver class is the least impressive of the wide receiver classes that have come through the door in a long time. The conversation I have with Marcus Mosier on the next Sonic Truth podcast was demoralizing. It was a suffering wading through our top 12 wide receivers because it was just one underwhelming talent after another. And yet dynasty leaguers insist on an equal split in the first two rounds between running backs and wide receivers. They continue to insist on this arbitrary distribution. Oh, the number two wide receiver in this class must be drafted in the first round. No, not necessarily. This is how Brashad Perriman and Philip Dorsett became first round picks. So just stop. I will help you end this addiction to wide receivers, Dynasty Leaguers. I can tell already this will be a running theme on the Sonic Truth podcast, so make sure you're tuned into that throughout the season. And stay tuned today for my conversation with Joe Prano. He's the host of the Dirty Sports Podcast. It's not a fantasy football podcast, and that's what I want. I want to expand the scope and reach of this show beyond just fantasy sports. The Dirty Sports Podcast is hilarious, and you can go see Joe Prano out in L.A., at the L.A. Improv, at the Westside Comedy Theater, and you can follow him at Fix Your Life on Twitter. Welcome to the Roto Underworld Radio Program, Joe Prano. That's right. Joe Prano is a comedian. He's the host of the Dirty Sports Podcast, and you can see him on the West Coast, namely the LA Improv, the West Side Comedy Theater. Joe Prano, talk to me. Thank you for having me. This is exciting. I, I On my podcast, we've kind of had to put football aside for a little bit and focus on no. spring training and basketball. But, you know, I wasn't really done. I wasn't really done talking football. We don't do pitchers and catchers. No, 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 no. The NCAA tournament. Oh, March Madness. Oh, no. Oh, March Madness. No, there's no March Madness. We find a way, Joe. We find a way to dig nuggets, info nuggets about football all year round and i love talking to comedians on this show particularly comedians that know sports because i like their take on things we like to laugh a little bit unlike the rest of the fantasy podcast they're just going through their spreadsheets calculating the projections in february get the hell out of here i want to talk about your super bowl experience how did you experience this whole thing? Because it was great. I thought it was a sports massage, really. They had those the barber shops that have been converted into these uh, massage parlors slash barber shops for men. Yeah. Where you get the, the hot towel and they massage you while you're getting your hair cut. I didn't need the masseuse this time. I was just sitting on the couch. It felt like a massage the entire game. Do you agree? Yeah, uh, that it was a it was sort of a deep tissue massage for me as a Giants fan. Yes. It was very painful to watch both of those teams in the Super Bowl. Oh yes, and no win situation for the Giants fans. Although my sense is that the Giant fan would be rooting for the Patriots based on their obscene hatred for Philadelphia teams and Eagles fans in particular. Absolutely. Yes. Yes. I, I hate no one more than the than the Eagles and their fans. And I got to say, I, I saw leading up to the game a lot of Giants fans questioning who they should root for. And those people, in my opinion, are are no longer considered Giants fans, because if you don't know who to root for in an Eagles Patriots matchup, you're not a Giants fan. Eagles Nazis matchup. You root for the Nazis. You know what I mean? Like it's anybody but the Eagles. I'm with you. Well, not necessarily in the Nazi part, but I'm with you generally speaking on Eagles fans being the worst because I always hear, oh, well, you know, you're just cherry picking the worst of us. We're just enthusiastic fans. No, you're not. No, you're not. You're assholes. Yeah. You're assholes. Just ask the Minnesota Vikings fans that went to Philadelphia who have been to other stadiums. It's not like these Minnesota Vikings fans, oh, it's their first away game. No, they've been to Lambeau. They've been to games in Chicago. They were not hit with objects throughout their entire trek from the parking lot to the stadium entrance. So get the hell out of here, Eagles fans. You're not being picked on. You're just the worst. 
Absolutely. I've been to Cowboys games against the Giants in Dallas. I've been to uh, Giants-Redskins games. I've been to Mets-Dodgers games. I've been to all the places they say you don't want to go. Nothing compares. I, somebody held the door open for me on the way into the Jerry Dome. Like a Cowboys fan was like, enjoy the game. And, and Eagles fans are urinating on people's hats and throwing beers at people. They're the worst. And I said it on the Dirty Sports podcast. I know we glossed over it a little bit, but... You know, the Nazis were misguided, but at least they stood for something. Eagles fans, they just they just stand for awfulness. Yeah, the stadium's burning down, and there's an elevator with space to get out. The Eagles fan is the one just hitting the closed door button over and over and over again. Yes, absolutely. When you were watching this game, two minutes, 30 seconds to go, I mean, you did just holler around and say, Hey, everybody! Hey, everybody! Uh, Tom Brady's about to do that thing he does. Come on in! Everybody, it's time. Just come on in. I know you're you're just here to watch the commercials. I promise you, this is good. Just come on. He's going to do that thing where he, he brings them back and he wins the trophy. Okay, come on. Check it out. Come on. Look, look, I mostly, I mostly thought that. But there was a small piece of me that, as a Giants fan, has seen him get the ball late in the game and not and not get it done. And that's now that's now three Super Bowls where Tom Brady got the ball with, you know, a minute and a half to two minutes left and didn't get the score. I know that this is his, you know, over his the course of his career, he's certainly done it more than anybody else has ever done it. But it's his forte. In Super Bowls, he's he's not done it three times. He has done it a few times in Super Bowls, and he's also obviously had the big comeback against the Falcons. You know, he had a he had a late drive for field goals in the early ones. What what? <laughs> Patriots won that game. Did you turn it off? I turned it off. Wait, did the, he can't, they were down twenty eight to three. The probability was ninety nine point nine nine percent chance that the Falcons were going to win that game. Yeah, and uh, and and. Honestly, the Falcons, if you will go back and you watch that game, if the Falcons started taking a knee in the third quarter, in the middle of the third quarter and just punting, they would have they would have won that game. That's right. That's right. Now I've seen the math on that. It's sad, really. But yeah, this was not a case of the Patriots losing the game. This was just great football start to finish. I mean, the last Super Bowl was a great second half. If you're a Patriots fan and we were just marveling at this improbable event, but the first half was not good. The entire game of this Super Bowl, Super Bowl 52, was exquisite. If you hate defense. Which I do. Right. <laughs> proudly. Yes, proudly. What is it, flag football out there? <laughs> yeah, I, actually, I wouldn't even mind flag football. I Go ahead. I'm fine with it. Just points. Points and more points. It was a fun game to watch, that's for sure. It was exciting till the end. Even even when they got the ball back, you know, late down eight, I, I didn't really think at that point Tom Brady was going to come back, but I was like, he might. The ball was in the air. Gronkowski was lumbering toward the end zone. A lot of people at that moment were thinking, oh, he's going to catch a touchdown here. Oh, this is more likely than not, right? What does that say about Tom Brady and Gronkowski that in a Hail Mary situation, the casual fan is sitting on their couch going, oh, this is more probable than not. They're going to get it here. Yeah. And you're surprised when it doesn't work. And the game is over, and it says 0.00 on the scoreboard, and you're you're surprised. You're like, wait, yeah. wait, the Patriots didn't win? What? what? Huh? I, I blame the Eli Manning Dirty Dancing commercial. Anytime Eli Manning appears at a Super Bowl, Tom Brady loses, whether it's in uh, – you know, on on the screen, in the game. If Eli Manning's involved, Tom Brady's not winning that game. Is Tom Brady going to win another Super Bowl, or is this dynasty dead? Was this the end? I, I do think that, I, well, you know, it's hard to say the dynasty's dead because they're still in the AFC East. I mean, are we? is anybody picking the Bills, Dolphins, or Jets to win the division next year? Um, so I think, I think they Oof. probably win the division again next year, and they're in the mix. So it's hard to say, you know, if they get an AFC championship game, that this dynasty, you know, that that, that wouldn't be sort of encompassed in this dynasty. But I, I do think Tom Brady has won his last Super Bowl. The Chargers are going to be better. Chiefs are going to be better with Patrick Mahomes. The Steelers need some defensive pieces, and they'll be a juggernaut. And the ultimate trump card in the AFC, if the Jaguars get a quarterback. Yes. If the Jaguars get a quarterback, that's the ultimate cheat code in a video game to get to the last level. That's the equivalent of the Jaguars getting a quarterback. 
I mean, that's all they need. If they get Kirk Cousins, forget it. I mean, forget it. I'm a Patriots fan. And if the Jaguars get Kirk Cousins, I'm just throwing my papers in the air at that point. I mean, oh, like, forget it. Let the Jaguars have their Super Bowl with Kirk Cousins. I still think they could, you know, I, I don't I don't see them winning. I mean, do you really think if they get Kirk Cousins, they're, they're winning a Super Bowl? The Jaguars and Kirk Cousins. I really don't because I don't think anyone's going to beat the Eagles for the next five years. <laughs> they did that without Carson Wentz. What if they had Carson Wentz? They can't be beaten. They're going to go undefeated for the next three or four years with Carson Wentz. If this is what they do with Dick Foles. Yeah. Jesus Christ. It was tough, but that's, I mean, you've got to imagine there's a little bit of that. That's the scheme of coming with Nick Foles in the last few weeks and going with the run pass option. Your team's got to sort of figure that out, right? We think that they do, right? They figured out the Wildcat and they figured out Washington's read option. Yeah. I would have thought Bill Belichick would have figured it out with, uh, you know, two weeks to prepare. But they, the Patriots just didn't have much of a defense whatsoever. The problem is the Patriots have been running the run-pass option for many years. It just became the cliche sportscaster go-to this year. Yeah. But for years, Tom Brady has been coming to the line of scrimmage and surveying the defensive formation and deciding whether or not to call a run or a pass out of that particular formation. So it's just funny how the the generic broadcaster, when they figure out a, a new crutch terminology they can go to. Well, I also I also think when you look at when you look at what the Eagles did in the Super Bowl and also in the NFC Championship game against the Vikings, it's not just that, you know, coming to the line and having a play. It's that 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 college look where you're stuffing the ball in a guy's, you know, stomach and then pulling it out and passing. I think when you don't have a great linebacking core, that that can really mess up a defense and then suddenly there's little holes little pocket holes that that can be exploited but i still think a good defense i mean look at you know they only scored 10 points again or 15 points against the falcons i still think that the good defenses you know a luke keekly uh led panthers defense for example will give a team like the eagles trouble in the nfc I don't I, now. I don't. I don't love the Panthers' offense. I'm not saying the Panthers are you know going to win the Super Bowl next year, but I, I still think good defenses are going to give that that offensive scheme more trouble than you know the, uh, the, the than the Patriots did in the Super Bowl. And then I think Minnesota just they they had just blown their load in the in the miracle in in Minnesota. Right? Yeah, they did. Right? The curse of Stephon Diggs. The problem is the Minnesota Vikings had the best defense in the NFC last year. And they were steamrolled by this Philadelphia Eagles offense. So I'm just tingling with anticipation to see this Eagles team. I know we don't love the fan base, but just clinically evaluating this Philadelphia Eagles team. I mean, woof. Wow. I'm excited to see what they can do with all their pieces next season. Now, we talked about the Patriots dynasty possibly being dead. Well, luckily for them, they retained their offensive coordinator. It's interesting that it was not the Eagles, nor the Steelers even, that had the most efficient offense last season. It was actually the Patriots, despite not having the same level of weaponry those other teams do. And you have to give Josh McDaniels some credit for that. But then he goes out and he verbally accepts the Colts head coaching job. And then at the very last minute, he's talked out of it and he jilts the Colts on the altar. And what I'm hearing from Colts fans is that Josh McDaniels is a douchebag through their tears, right? They're just, they're not over it yet. I know they got Frank Reich and they're healed, right? Because they just needed a Super Bowl, right? They needed someone who was around the Super Bowl, someone with some Super Bowl smell on them, some confetti in their hair. They didn't care if it was Justin Timberlake or Pink. They just needed somebody who was at the Super Bowl. Okay, you're at the Super Bowl. Okay, great. Security guard, great. You're the guy. We feel fine now. We're fine. We were really pissed. A lot of self-loathing going on among Colts fans, but now we're fine again. I don't think they're fine. I still have the tweets they sent about Josh McDaniels, but go back, look at that situation with Josh McDaniels. It was bizarre, right? We don't see that very often. A coach backing out after the franchise he's headed to has already hired assistants. They've already made plans. Like it's been announced publicly. So what did you make of that? Did you understand where he was coming from or were you just shaking your head? I was shaking my head, but I mean, it happened like five days after ESPN runs their 30 for 30 
thirty, the two bills. Yes. When we re- we revisit that, Bill Belichick did the same thing, and so it it's not like it's unprecedented. And I do think that you are kind of a douchebag if you verbally commit to a team and have them all lined up and they're making plans and they're going to make you the head coach. Uh, and I imagine that the answer is Robert Kraft came in and offered him an absurd amount of money to screw the Colts because of Deflate Gate and because of the hatred that they still have toward each other. And, um, you know, if I were if I were the Colts, I'd at least hire the two ball boys who have since been fired and thrown under the bus that had Tom Brady in their phone as as the deflator. Some some sort of retribution. But I, I imagine that uh, that's what Kraft did. He came in. I, I think Belichick is getting ready to wrap this up in the next couple of years. And Kraft is probably paying a, a stupid amount of money to McDaniels to stay the offense coordinator and take over when Belichick leaves. But we don't know because the Patriots famously do not disclose coaches' salaries. So we have no idea what they're paying him. They are probably paying him an obscene amount of money because why not? I mean, they're at the end of this run with Belichick and Brady. I mean, they need to pay Josh McDaniels whatever it takes. Josh McDaniels talks about, oh, well, my, my kids are in school, right, in Boston. No, it wasn't the kids in school. Get the fuck out of here. It was a godfather offer, an offer you can't refuse. His kids were in school when he was interviewing with them, right? Like, his kids were in school. They didn't just transfer to school in Boston. Like, come on. This didn't all happen in a week. They knew he was talking to the Colts. But I don't even know what kids would do, especially in the elite Boston suburbs. I mean, would this be a, would the, a hunger strike? Is that what a kid would do to protest daddy moving to another city? Oh, my God, a new school. Oh, I have to find new friends. No, this is going to be terrible. I'm sure they would have been fine. I don't think the kids just Googled Indianapolis and were like, wait, what? It's in the Midwest? We refuse. Yes, they have Google. They knew where he was interviewing. He was going to one of the worst cities in the National Football League for anything, culture, fun, you name it. Indianapolis, one of the worst. Not that Indianapolis is horrible. I feel like we're nuking every city on the map here. Yeah, that's that's what I was going to say. It's like, I mean, is it really a huge step down from the kind of people you're getting in Boston? Now you're killing Boston. I love this. I love the theme of the show already. That we're just finding ways to disparage U.S. cities. I mean, pretty soon. I mean, Tulsa, you're not safe, right? They don't have an NFL team. Even still, they're not safe. I mean, Nashville. I mean, Nashville people feel like we're coming for them. They have to. Like, they're just like, oh, we're next. Damn it. Well, that's uh, as a New York and L.A. guy, you know, I, I get to sit up here on my, on my, on my coastal th- on my coastal thrones and just shit on everybody else. These L.A. Connecticut assholes just raining down elitism on the country like acid rain. That's right. We're, we're against pollution because we're in a blue state, but it doesn't matter. We're going to hit you with acid rain. Anyway, Rob Gronkowski was talking about retiring after the Super Bowl. Is there any legitimacy to Rob Gronkowski's claims after the Super Bowl that he may be done with football? I don't think I don't think he's retiring right now, but I wouldn't be surprised if it happens, you know, after next season when he's certain that maybe the dynasty is winding down. Uh, he obviously could be a guy that goes over to the WWE. He could obviously be a guy who, you know, stars in a shitty HBO show like the, you know, like ballers. Well, speaking of ballers, The Rock approached Rob Gronkowski and the reports are that he pleaded with him to give up football and become an actor. This was the proposal from The Rock. Yeah. And that's a hard, I mean, talk about a godfather offer. That's hard to turn down when you see that The Rock has three movies. I don't know how The Rock does it, but he somehow puts out three movies every weekend. Has The Rock not seen Rob Gronkowski act in commercials? What is The Rock thinking? This is not a good idea. I mean, has The Rock not seen Rob Gronkowski talk? We've seen ex-athletes try to act in the past. Howie Long was thrust into an action star role and flamed out in spectacular fashion. And he had some TV experience. I mean, Rob Gronkowski, please, please. You have to have just a modicum of 
suspension of disbelief to sell an action star. You can't just put a big, goofy, muscular guy on the big screen and say, okay, you're an action star. What the hell is The Rock thinking? The Rock's just thinking about himself. He has to learn the lines? Think he can read a script? Dwayne Johnson, are you insane? Sorry, go ahead. I think The Rock's just thinking for himself. He goes, retire, do one movie with me. The movie will blow up because it'll be the, the Rob Gronkowski's first movie. And then he'll just toss, you know, Gronk to the side. He'll go back to Kevin Hart. And uh, he'll do, you know, the, the Rock doesn't care. Well, an action movie starring Rob Gronkowski would at least out-earn any movie with Will Smith. We know that. <laughs> right. Right. That's the baseline, right? Will Smith sitting here like, I have all this experience. The biggest blockbusters of all time have my name on them. And at this point in my career, Rob Gronkowski can waltz in. Make a couple 69 jokes and uh, be an action star. Yeah, I hate my life. <laughs> He's doing great. You're doing great, Will, if you listen to the show, which you don't. But you're you're awesome. Love you, man. So we love Jason Kelsey on this show. Everybody now has been introduced to Jason Kelsey because of the speech he had after the Super Bowl. What was your takeaway from that? I mean, what? I basically do that speech four times a year on my own show. So I appreciated it, and I thought it was great. And I loved how he called out everybody who said, you know, that Peterson couldn't coach. And I liked that he remembered every last criticism. Uh, I didn't make it all the way through, though. I, I'm sure it ended with, uh, you know, tons of people screaming E-A-G-L-E-S Eagles. But it was a long-winded speech. Yeah, yeah. I got the gist of it halfway through. And uh, it's funny because football players always claim they don't read what people write. They don't listen to sports podcasts. They don't listen to sport, <laughs> sports radio. This guy, he was quoting, he called out Lombardi. He's calling out scouts. He's all like, yeah, he's, he was obviously listening. This past offseason, some clown named Mike Lombardi told him that he was the least qualified head coach in the NFL. Big V was told he didn't have it. Stephen Wisniewski ain't good enough. Jason Kelsey's too small. Lane Johnson can't lay off the juice. Brandon Brooks has anxiety. Carson Wentz didn't go to a Division I school. Nick Foles don't got it. Corey Clement's too slow. LeGarrette Blunt ain't got it anymore. Jay and Jack can't stay healthy. Tory Smith can't catch. Nelson Aguilar can't catch. Zach Ertz can't block. Brett Zellick's too old. No one liked this team. No analysts like this team to win the Super Bowl, and nobody likes our fans. If you love the Philadelphia Eagles, let me get a hell yeah! This is what I want from the athlete. I want the athletes to be honest, to admit that they read the criticism, to admit that the criticism bothers them, and then to confront the critics when they win the Super Bowl publicly and just start yelling at people. Yeah. This is what I want. This is what we need. We need elements of the WWE in professional sports. More of this. I don't understand how commissioners of sports leagues can see this and see how Jason Kelsey went viral and not say to themselves, we need more of this in our league to appeal to young people. I think the issue with it is, and it's why it was so, uh, you know, long and so loud was because it was after the season. If a guy does that during the season, then the whole week is, oh, you're so you listen to all these people. It's like it, it becomes more of a distraction than it's worth. It becomes more of a distraction than the hype that it would build. Um, but I, I do agree there needs to be elements of it. But that the reason it was so great, and again, I only watched half of it, but I got the gist, was because he went all in. And I don't think you can do that on a regular basis without then having to answer a million questions if you do it on a Monday before the game starts on Sunday. I disagree with that. In speaking with athletes about this idea of the distraction, I've learned that it's like a contrived construct created by coaching staffs to just limit the amount of noise around the team. But the players insist time and time again when you ask them that those things don't impact their preparation. Those things don't impact their play. The idea of the press conference distraction is actually a media contrivance. And the coaches end up falling for it, and they end up pounding the table to have their team in line. And then what happens with a lot of teams is exactly what 
Jason Kelsey's teammate Lane Johnson said was that he would rather win one Super Bowl the fun way than win five Super Bowls the no fun way like the Patriots. Now, I disagree. I think he's completely full of shit. Yeah, of course he is. Of course, you'd much rather have five Super Bowls the unfun way in quotes. Winning the Super Bowl by itself is fun, whether you have a dog mask on or not. I mean, get over yourself. However, the point still stands that it would be more fun for everyone and potentially, potentially, if you let more athletes be themselves, be the hyperbole-soaked WWE star at the podium, I don't actually believe it would impact the team in a negative way. It would just make a little more work for the coaches, and oh fucking well. I mean, I think the one thing is in in the modern Twitter, Instagram, this era where, you know, Kevin Durant is spending time creating fake accounts to defend himself online. Like, it's hard, you know, being a Giants fan, you know, I had LT uh, as our star growing up and it was like, oh, it's a distraction, distraction. And and he was one of those guys who was like, man, I just go out there and play all the shit that happens, you know, the rest of the week that has no effect on me. I think I, 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 right. I agree. I agree with that to some extent, but I also think now when you're like, when you watch ESPN, there was a time where it was just the press conference, right? Yes. Thank you. Yes. That's what I'm talking about. Now ESPN is showing uh, shoot around. They're showing walkthrough. They're quoting people's tweets. They're showing LeBron's Instagram, uh, Arthur memes and like all this stuff. I feel like it's hard for an athlete, especially a young athlete, a 20 something millennial to get away from it. If he does something like that, he's going to see it all week, literally on his own phone. At least in the NBA, we get some mild form of in-season trash talking. Yeah. But the way LeBron and the NBA and most NBA players do it, it's it's the subversive trolling where they're not actually saying the guy's name, but they're just they're subtweeting. Yeah, exactly. Whatever the Instagram version of subtweeting is. What's that called? Is there an Instagram version of subtweeting? Yeah, I don't know what it is. But yeah, it's passive-aggressive social media trash talk. The passive-aggressive Instagram subtweeting whatever, that's better than nothing, right? We'll take that in the NBA. What I want the NFL to do is come back over the top of the NBA and say, oh no, we're not just going to do the passive-aggressive subtweeting. Oh oh no, oh no. We're going to get on Facebook Live or periscope during practice and talk trash to the opponent prior to Sunday. That, Joe, that I would, wow, please, right? We were talking about Lane Johnson saying he'd rather do one the fun way rather than five the not fun way. But you have to look at one thing in in terms of success. The Patriots have not had the most talent. Every year they've got, you know, a bottom four draft picks. Every year, every other year, uh, they've got those draft picks taken away for some violation that they've committed. And yet, they continue to have a dynasty, and Belichick's doing it in a way where, like, you guys aren't even allowed to own phones. So I think there's something to, you know, we're just on to Buffalo. We're just on to Jacksonville. We're just on to, and it keeps it short, and, and, you know, like, a Gronk gets to be the one who takes all of the frenzy, and everybody else just does their job. I think I mean, I think there's something to that. You have to, if you look at their success. I mean, uh, I mean. But we'll see. We'll see. You're, you know, you're, you're talking about the Eagles beginning. Let's see if the Eagles come back next year and are 13 and three again. I think that's a big test. Okay, you guys going to do it the fun way? Everybody's going to wear the dog masks? Let's see if there's the Super Bowl hangover with the dog masks. Before the Jets game, I want Rob Gronkowski to go on Periscope and say, hey, Jamal Adams, I'm going to rip your head off and shit down your throat this Sunday. Come and get me, motherfucker. That's what I want, Joe. Can we have that or is that too much? Is that too much to ask? (laughs) Is that specifically verbatim? Is that too much to ask? I don't think from Gronk, if he's going to stick around for one more year before he gets into the Rock movies, just go for it. Yes, yes. Rob Gronkowski is the best tight end of all time. According to the advanced metrics, he absolutely is. But this season, Rob Gronkowski was equaled in numerous advanced metrics by Jason Kelsey's brother, Travis Kelsey. Mm -hmm. And Travis Kelsey does not have multiple back surgeries 
forearm surgery, knee surgery. Oh, he does have knee surgery. They both tore their ACL. But other than the torn ACLs, Travis Kelsey does not have anything close to Rob Gronkowski's injury history, and they're a similar age. So is it blasphemous to say that Travis Kelsey has surpassed Rob Gronkowski and that he will likely be more productive next year? It all comes down to the durability. I mean, the best tight end in the NFL next year is going to be whichever one of those guys plays more snaps. And right now, you can't think that that's going to be Gronk. He just doesn't play a full season. I mean, now he's got the concussion, you know, in in the AFC Championship game. Concussions. I didn't list the concussions. Sorry, the concussions too. Sure. And Kelsey was knocked out in the playoff game as well. So, you know, we talk about the advanced metrics saying that Rob Gronkowski is the greatest tight end of all time. But what slips under the radar in that calculation is guys like Tony Gonzalez and Jason Witten and Antonio Gates, who played every game, you know, at, at you know, 75% of the production of Gronk, but in, you know, significantly more games, staying on the field. And I think that's part of it. You have to kind of, you have to play a style, especially a tight end, if you're splitting out wide, where you're not putting yourself in a position to get hurt. And so I think, yeah, whichever one of those guys plays the most snaps is going to be the most productive tight end in the NFL. It's going to be Travis Kelsey. Last season, we have a metric called dominator rating on player profile fire.com which is the tight ends percentage of team receiving yards and percentage of team receiving touchdowns which factors out quarterback play and how prolific your offense is rob gronkowski 28.2 percent dominator rating last year travis kelsey 28.2 dominator rating exactly the same dominator rating it's crazy they're actually mirror images of one another going all the way back to their college days there are very few comps in the nfl as similar as rob gronkowski to Travis Kelsey, Travis Kelsey, to Rob Gronkowski. Another one is Allen Robinson and Des Bryant. I mean, there's a handful of very close comps, but I challenge anyone to find a comp closer than the Travis Kelsey, Rob Gronkowski one, except the surgical scars. Rob Gronkowski has many, many times more surgical scars than Travis Kelsey. That's the big differentiator there. I'm going to pose one question to you, and I think that you said it before. I, th- I agree with you. I think the Chiefs will be better with Mahomes than they were yes. with Alex Smith. I think that they will. That there'll just be a lot more that their offense can do. But do you think? Do you think that Travis Kelsey's numbers personally could take a hit from having Mahomes because uh, Alex Smith is a guy that likes to go to a security blanket as opposed to you know a, a rocket arm Mahomes who might be more likely to chuck it downfield. The only stat in which Travis Kelsey significantly exceeded Rob Gronkowski was yards after the catch per target. Right. Travis Kelsey is significantly better than Rob Gronkowski after the catch. And you can see it watching them. Rob Gronkowski just has a harder time shaking defenders once he has the football in his hands than Travis Kelsey does just because he's not as fluid as Travis Kelsey because he's just so much stiffer out there. It's just like a cyborg that needs some oil in those joints. So what I think is going to happen is the Chiefs will throw the ball more in the red zone because so often Alex Smith chose to run the ball in the red zone. And the depth of target is going to expand with Patrick Mahomes. So I think that Travis Kelsey will catch more downfield and he'll catch more in the red zone, which will enhance his numbers, actually. I think with Patrick Mahomes, it's the tide that lifts all boats because it was the weapons supporting Alex Smith which propelled him. And those weapons are still there. They're only going to get better. Travis Kelsey's in his prime. Tyreek Hill is approaching his prime and they're going to add another weapon on the outside in the receiving game most likely yeah yeah cream hunt was a rookie last season so it's only going to get better for those kansas city weapons and now you add a quarterback with a plus arm who's not afraid to throw the ball downfield with the most efficient weaponry in the league it's wheels up for this Chiefs offense, if they can get any defense whatsoever, if their defense can just be average next year, they will challenge the Patriots to represent the AFC in the Super Bowl. Andy Reid has already used a week one timeout, so there's that. <laughs> yes. 
I don't think anything can hold back this Chiefs team if they get some defense. And they've already started by trading for their biggest weakness, slot corner. So they traded for the most efficient slot corner in the league last season, Kendall Fuller. So the Chiefs are already well on their way to not just making noise, but actually being a Super Bowl contender in a real way, in a way they just couldn't be with Alex Smith and his limited ceiling. I agree with you. So football is healthy. The game of football is alive and well, even though youth participation rates are way down. Yeah. Shockingly down across the board where Dick Sporting Goods is reporting a 30% decrease in purchases of football equipment, for example. So in the long run, the sport may be doomed. But in the short run, we're doing fine. Exactly. How did football become America's pastime? Like, what about it do you think intrinsically makes it so compelling? It's a lot of really simple things. I think that football is played all at once on a Sunday. You know, it's very easy if you're a basketball or a baseball fan uh, to come home and have shit that you've got to do at seven o'clock at night after being at work all day and go like, I can't just sit down and watch every Major League Baseball game. There was a time when America's pastime was baseball because it was just on in the background uh, on on the radio. And it was it was happening, you know, during the day. And it would be something that you did. You'd skip out of work to go to the ballpark before there was lights on and all that. But now that we're you know, now that everything is about watching it on TV and seeing the replays and having the slow motion, having the HD. And that's something that has been, you know, not just in the super modern era, but in the 70s and the 80s, where everything became more and more televised. I think it was let's just take the entire day and watch every football game. And the, the brand is so strong. Red Zone Channel. Oof, right. That's like heroin in your veins. Sports heroin. I mean, think about the John Madden, Pat Summerall days and the and Monday night football. And it's just, you know, it's just beers and trucks and football. And that, that was your Sunday. Yeah. And now with the mobile devices, I talk to a lot of millennials that love football, too. So it's not like baseball where the millennials are just completely disconnected from the sport. Millennials are engaged with football. We just need to make sure that there will be athletes that can play the sport in 20 years, and that's very much up in the air. That's what I was going to say to you is is I think that what you're talking about, the, the long view, people are, I think, over uh, – they're exaggerating this. The numbers are down. Less people are watching football. There's a 10%. It's like everybody's watching it on Twitter and on, on streaming and whatever. Like Nielsen ratings are not the way to determine how many people are watching things anymore. Right. It's a structural shift. But – I think that you're absolutely right uh, 20 years from now. And I think it's a two part issue. One, the concussions and the way that parents are less likely to let their kids play football. And two, bingo. And two, uh, things like this Colin Kaepernick thing, where if you're uh, the father of a young black kid, why would you let him choose football? You're going to go you're going to work your whole life for this. And then you have an opinion and you're out of the league. No, go go play basketball where you can tweet Arthur memes at at each other and do whatever you want. Because the white majority are largely anti-Kaepernick, the NFL owner's perception is that they're correct. Right. Right. That they're doing the right thing by encouraging their players to stand and then Vince McMahon comes out and says oh we're going to start a league and everyone's going to stand and the NBA is is reminding everyone hey we have a rule that says all our athletes have to stand for the national anthem and yada 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 well guess what the NFL had an opportunity to be on the right side of history and help their league in the long run appeal to a, a demographic that was skeptical of owners like Jerry Richardson and Jerry Jones and all the fucking Jerry's right yeah I'm always on the lookout for individuals and organizations who have an opportunity to be on the right side of history and whether or not they take it, right, or they just abdicate. So in the NFL's case, they abdicated over short-term ticket sales and ratings, and in the long term, it will hurt them. Absolutely. And what's funny is when we're talking about the Eagles— I said on these airwaves that the Eagles would not win a Super Bowl unless they signed Colin Kaepernick. (laughs) (laughs) I said that. That uh, What a great take. Wow. Oh, genius. So do you think Colin Kaepernick plays again? I mean, what's the percentage chance? 
you had to pick a number out of the sky that Colin Kaepernick plays again in his lifetime? I'm going to say 25%. That high? Yeah, but here's the thing. I, I would have said it was 50-50, um, you know, halfway through last season. I was like, the way everybody uh, is getting hurt, the way everybody needs a quarterback, somebody's just going to give up on the whole right. thing and just go, uh, you know, we, we can't just be terrible. People aren't going to come because we're terrible. Forget them not coming. There's nobody to stand or kneel in front of if no one's coming because we're, we're, we're marching out Trevor Simeon, who's embarrassing himself out there. Trevor Simeon is is a godsend compared to what the Texans were putting under center when Deshaun Watson went down and they did not sign Colin Kaepernick. At that point, I thought, it's over for this guy. It's over. So I would have had it at 50% mid-year because that didn't happen. But I still think somebody's going to cave. It's just going to have to be one injury, one guy taking a chance in uh, in preseason. You know, somebody has to do it. I hope so, man. I, I really hope so. It's crazy. I mean, it's the craziest thing I've ever seen. Colin Kaepernick being available to anyone that just wanted to give him something. He just wanted something. I'll play. Just give me something. And no, they're out there playing TJ Yates. I mean, that was crazy. I mean, what's the craziest thing you've seen at a sporting event or after a sporting event? Any sport. It doesn't have to be football. Just any event because we saw an Eagles fan eat poop after the Super Bowl. Yeah. Have you seen anything like that at a sporting event? I mean, you do host the Dirty Sports Podcast. Yes. So I thought it would be important to talk about Eagles fans eating horse manure with the host of the Dirty Sports Podcast. I mean, that's apropos, right? Absolutely. And, and you know, it's funny because, the like we were talking about before, Eagles fans claiming like, oh, this is just, look at all the stuff that came out just in, you know, the days after the Super Bowl. Multiple people stabbed uh, at the parade. Uh, people punching horse cops. People eating horse shit. Wait, what? Wait, what? They, people were stabbed at the parade? Two people were stabbed at the parade. I didn't know that. Yeah. Oh, my that's God. How, that's how they celebrate their victory. The hell is wrong with you animals? Yeah. Um, but I don't, I mean, I don't think I've ever seen anything that's uh, like, I can't even, was that a bet that you lost? Like, you would have thought the guy was going to be in a Patriots jersey and he said, I'll eat horse shit if we lose. You're celebrating your win by eating horse shit? I don't, I can't, that doesn't even make sense to me. Yeah. Maybe they were mid conversation and they were having a sports argument and his friend said, Oh, that's horse shit. <laughs> Yeah. And the guy's like just keeps eating. He's like, Yeah, I know, right? Well, too bad. He's like, No, no, really, look what you're eating. I mean, Eagles fans are typically eating at Wawa, which is a uh, gas station deli. So it's probably not, uh, you know, much lower on the food grade scale. But this is interesting to me. I mean, the celebration of the gas station deli as if it's this amazing creation that we're all missing out on Wawa. Yeah. Are you fucking kidding me? What are you talking about? We're missing out on this amazing gas station deli that we have in Pennsylvania. It's ridiculous. What is wrong with you? It's seven. It's it's Seven Eleven. Yes. It's being proud of like it's it's like being proud of eating a buffalo chicken roller for dinner every They're night. They're proud of this. They think it's this special thing. Oh, I can't believe there's no Wawa here. Oh, you must feel so bad about not having Wawa. Everything that Philadelphia does has this. It's just a matter of time before you find the terrible underlayer. Like, I actually really enjoy a good cheesesteak. And uh, I was in Philadelphia uh, working for CBS College Sports at one time and went and visited Pat's Geno's. We did a March Madness of cheesesteaks. Uh, Geno's was selected the winner. We went, we presented them on camera with my trophy. They put my headshot on the wall. They invited me inside of the VIP booth. And that was when, and that was when I learned that uh, the guys in there are super racist and refuse to hire anybody that isn't fully white, that doesn't speak English. They were like... in. When you go inside the store, it says, like, speak English or get the fuck out. Like, we're putting up a wall. I was like, oh, so you guys are just white supremacists. (laughs) I was like, okay, this is interesting. So they even ruined the cheesesteak. Yeah, they ruined the cheesesteak. Motherfuckers. No one could ruin the greatest play in recent memory, which was the Stefan Diggs catch. What's interesting about that is so much has happened since. That feels like eons ago that seems like a galaxy far far away that Stefan Diggs is catching this pass and the safety Marcus Williams is trying to tackle him at a trajectory in which there is no player 
he wasn't even in the frame where the player was. I mean, I've never seen that before. So much about that play was amazing. I, I remember where I was when I saw that play, and I know it just happened a couple weeks ago. So, of course, I remember where I was. Everyone now remembers where they were when they saw But I believe, I'm confident, that I'll remember where I was many years from now. And it does feel like it has been years, but it's only been a few weeks. That play was it was like playing Madden on the rookie level. Absolutely, yeah. And it was a computer defender just diving past you five yards too early and you just walk into the end zone in Madden. And that's what it felt like to me. The defender was a guy playing Madden and he accidentally hit the hit stick, you know, like he hit the wrong button and dove. Before that play, it seemed like Stephon Diggs introduced himself to the world with that touchdown, right? But those of us that are familiar with advanced metrics have been big advocates for Stephon Diggs for years now. How much did you know about the Stephon Diggs guy before that touchdown? I've actually had Stephon Diggs on on fantasy teams for, you know, a few years now. So I actually knew, I, you know, there I you knew. Go. There you go. That's it. That's the difference. The fantasy gamers know. They know. Yeah. All the people in the bar were looking around going, who's that guy? All the fantasy people were like, fucking Stephon Diggs, bro. It was interesting because he was sort of their number one guy for a few years. And then Thielen became their number one guy this year. But I mean, Diggs was their, their number one guy. I felt like that was the reemergence of Stephon Diggs. I feel like people knew him, forgot about him, and he came back again with that catch. That's exactly what it was because he's had groin injuries the past two seasons. So he's had these epic first halves and then groin injuries have throttled his production in the second half. And then, yes, he, that's a perfect way to put it. He reintroduced himself to the public, Stefan Diggs. But fantasy gamers, we knew, man. We knew. So we talked about how Kirk Cousins could lead the Jacksonville Jaguars to the Super Bowl. Should, actually, if he goes there. But think about the quarterbacks this past year. It was... Case Keenum, Nick Foles, who at the time, remember, it was just Nick Foles. I mean, Nick Foles was a punchline to start the playoffs, and he didn't even play well against the Falcons, as you mentioned. So Nick Foles was not a quality quarterback, not someone you want leading your team into the playoffs. You don't think you have a great chance to win the Super Bowl with Nick Foles. Enough with the revisionist history, okay? Case Keenum, same thing. Blake Bortles, same thing. I was stunned by the quarterback play in the playoffs. I mean, Brady was sitting there thinking, oh my God, this is amazing. They knocked out Drew Brees. <laughs> Just give me the Lombardi trophy now. I mean, come on. So looking around the NFL, you know, just conceivably, who do you think is the worst possible quarterback that you could imagine making the Super Bowl in 2018? Oh, man, that I can imagine making it. Maybe Andy Dalton's backup, A.J. McCarron, someone like that. I think it could be like a Tyrod Taylor. Yes. <laughs> you like Tyrod Taylor? No, but I think it's plausible, right? If if if, if Case Keenum and Nick Foles together, like if Brady gets hurt and the Bills sneak in, and then you know you get a Keenum situation, uh, like he could look. I don't think he's going to get there, um, but I, it's plausible. I love the Tyrod Taylor. Tyrod Taylor is another player who advanced metrics people and fantasy people appreciate. And everyone else thinks he's just a guy. We know better. I love that call. So last question for you. I'll get you out of here on this. Who would you like to see in the Super Bowl next season other than the Giants? This year, we had New England Patriots, Philadelphia Eagles. Really was a dream matchup because we had a team that had never won a Super Bowl before from a relatively big market. We have the evil empire. Everyone who had a rooting interest, rooting against either Philadelphia, like yourself, or the Patriots, if they weren't from one of those communities or already fans of the teams that were in the Super Bowl. That's what made the Super Bowl so compelling. That Everyone had a rooting interest, even though most people were cheering against teams rather than cheering for teams. So let's say the Giants make the Super Bowl next year, even though that's not likely at all. That's impossible. But let's say they make it. They're not going to make it. There's no chance they make the Super Bowl next year. But let's just say they make it, even though it's the least likely thing. It's you, you, you're giving them no chance. It's the most far-fetched event I could ever imagine. But let's just say it happens. Just to maximize fun. If the Giants were there, I'd love to see a Giants-Steelers Super Bowl. Uh, I think that would be interesting. There's, uh, I actually grew up with uh, with some of the Mara family, and there is a, you know, there's a connection. The... Is it Mara or Mara? 
To the Maras, yes, the Maras. It's Mara, but they've you know they sort of changed it as the as the daughter yeah as the daughters became uh, movie stars went from Maras to Mars, but uh, there is a connection. Uh, the the those Maras and there are Roonies who are who are related. They're married, so it's it would sort of be a family football game. And that's cool. What about Plaxico Burris? Who would he root for? I mean, he won with the Giants, so it's got to be with the Giants. Either way, I mean, whoever wins, he's shooting guns in the air. If yeah. If uh, if the Giants were not in the Super Bowl, I'll tell you who I'd like to see. I'd like to see Aaron Rodgers get to the Super Bowl again. It seems like thank you. Yes, seems like he doesn't uh, like he he's sort of getting thrown under the bus here as like like no one's talking about him as like an all time great because he's got the one Super. Bowl. I think Mike McCarthy's a terrible coach. I think they're wasting uh, Aaron Rodgers' prime. I think they need to get a new coach in there. Thank you very much. He's the worst coach in the NFL. He's easily the worst coach in the NFL. You know how I know that? Because while Doug Peterson is running trick play throws to the quarterback on fourth down inside the 20, what are the Packers doing on fourth down inside the 20? Kicking field goals. With Aaron Rodgers in the backfield. That's how you know Mike McCarthy is the worst. I'd like to see the Raiders be good again. I'd like, I like I like Derek Carr. I like, uh, I don't know what. You like Derek Carr? And uh, I don't know what John Gruden's going to do for them. And I'll tell you what, I'd like to see the Niners. I'd like to see Garoppolo. I've never seen a player so quickly charm the entire country. Not just San Francisco 49ers, not just their fans, but an entire country in six games. Jimmy Garoppolo has won over everyone. I mean, men, women, grandparents, children. I mean, everyone loves Jimmy Garoppolo. I believe that the Patriots made the wrong choice at quarterback. I'll admit it. I took a picture of him at a press conference and took it to Bloomingdale's and asked for guidance in how to buy these exact clothes <laughs> to mimic what he wears because I did that. That's a true story. I did that, and I'm not sorry. That's hilarious. Yeah, you got a little Garoppolo thing going. I see what you're trying to do. I'm Italian. He's Italian. He was a Patriot. I like the Patriots. He's got a swagger factor. I have a swagger factor. It is a lot of things. He probably has a lot of chest hair. I have a lot of chest hair. There's just some things. There's some things. Jimmy, call me. Now, who do you want the Giants to take in the first round? I want either Barkley or I want Nelson, the lineman from Notre Dame. You know, I'm not sure that the Giants running backs are terrible because our offensive line is so bad. Like, I'm not sure Wayne Gallman's not a, a real NFL running back. I'm fine with Eli Manning for a couple more years. What? The reason I asked this question is because I just can't believe Giants fans are willing to deal with another year of Eli and not draft a quarterback and risk winning enough games to not have access to a quarterback upgrade in next year's draft. I mean, this is the year. How could you forfeit this opportunity? I don't like Rosen, and he's got injury trouble. I don't like Darnold. You have to like Mayfield. You like Mayfield at least. He looks good, but he never looks good in the pocket. He looks good when he's moving around, and he looks good like, I need a pocket-passing NFL quarterback. The most intriguing one is Allen from Wyoming, but then I'm watching tape on him, and he, he'll overthrow guys out of the backfield into the, in the 12 rows into the stands. You can't draft Josh Allen. That's probably what people said about Carson Wentz. Carson Wentz was an outlier. You don't chase outliers with the second pick overall. You do not do that. I think the Giants should draft Baker Mayfield. If I'm the Giants, this is an opportunity to get the most efficient college quarterback of all time. Joe, I'm telling you, you and your Giants, you want to be on the right side of history? Draft Baker Mayfield. I'm pounding the table! I'm pounding the table for Baker Mayfield! I'm literally pounding it! I actually have a standing desk, so I'm pounding my standing desk. If you don't go quarterback, in my opinion, you go with that anchor offensive lineman. Finally fix the goddamn offensive line in New York.
Exactly. So if you're not going to go quarterback, I totally understand creating a foundation first, building the foundation first, and then getting the quarterback last, putting them once you have the walls and the foundation built. That is a philosophy I do believe in. So it would either be the lineman, the top lineman, or Baker Mayfield. That's what I suggest. As good as Saquon Barkley could be, he's still a running back, Joe. Right. He's still a running back, and and those are available. You can get Le'Veon Bell in free agency, for Christ's sake. Eagles-Nazis matchup. You root for the Nazis. You know what I mean? Like, it's anybody but the Eagles. I'm with you. Well, not necessarily in the Nazi part. What are you talking about? We're missing out on this amazing gas station deli that we have in Pennsylvania. They're proud of this. They think it's this special thing. Oh, I can't believe there's no Wawa here. Oh, you must feel so bad about not having Wawa. So they even ruined the cheesesteak. Yeah, they ruined the cheesesteak. When I got there, I understood it. But before we got out of the car, not in Giants gear, somebody came up to us and said, New York plates, huh? I'm going to slash your tires while you're in the game. That's before you get out of the car in the parking lot. Hey, listen, I forgot to turn the recorder on. Can we can we start over? And his friend said, oh, that's horse shit. And the guy's like, just keeps eating. He's like, yeah, I know, right? Well, too bad. He's like, no, no, really. Look what you're eating. To the Maras. Yes, the Maras. It's Marab. Either way, I mean, whoever wins, he's shooting guns in the air. Yeah. Jimmy Garoppolo. I believe that the Patriots made the wrong choice at quarterback. Eagles-Nazis matchup. You root for the Nazis.